Non-rock-a-boatus must stop. I don't want to rock the boat. I want to sink it. Are you going to bark all day, little doggy, or are you going to bite? You're delusional. Delusional is okay in your worldview. I'm an animal. You don't chastise chickens for being delusional. You don't chastise pigs for being delusional. So you calling me delusional using your worldview is perfectly okay. It doesn't really hurt. <laughs> she hung up on me. Yes! Yes! What? What? Desperate times call for faithful men and not for careful men. The careful men come later and write the biographies of the faithful men, lauding them for their courage. Go into all the world and make disciples. Not go into the world and make buddies. Not to make brosives. Right. Don't go in the world and make homies. Right. Disciples. I got, yeah. I got a bit of a jiggle neck. <laughs> That's a joke, Pastor. When we have the real message of truth, we cannot let somebody say they're speaking truth when no. they're not. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God of our God. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Y'all, welcome back to another episode of Apologia Radio. This is the gospel heard around the world. You can get more at ApologiaStudios.com. That's A-P-O-L-O-G-I-A Studios.com. ApologiaStudios.com. You can go there and get tons of additional content. Really encourage you to do so after the show today. Go to ApologiaStudios.com. Get all that extra content. You've got cultish. You've got sheologians. You've got Apologia Radio. You've got Provoked. You have the Apologia After Show. You have Apologia Academy. You have all of that content there at ApologiaStudios.com. Don't forget also to sign up for your free, absolutely free account for Bonson U. Dr. Greg Bonson, one of the greatest philosophers and apologists in the history of the Christian church, such a gift to the church, uh, left a treasure for the people of God. His seminary lectures and courses, his uh, teachings as a pastor within church, uh, all of that is at ApologiaStudios.com, and it is for free as a gift to you to the world from the Bonson family, and uh, they've entrusted that to us, and so it's at ApologiaStudios.com. Bonson, you get your free account, get your free account. You are going to be blessed by that, and more and more is coming all the time. As I've said a number of times, there's about 2,000 audio lectures, courses, uh, there's video coming, all that stuff. We are remastering a ton of that content. It does take time, but we're putting it out piecemeal. And uh, we've heard such great things from you guys about how much it's blessing your life and it's training you and equipping you and renewing your minds. And so praise God, all glory to God for that. And uh, that's at ApologiaStudios.com. Hey, don't forget, everybody, go to endabortionnow.com to get signed up with your church, uh, to get equipped, to get free training, to go out and to save lives at the mill. 
Um, I want to encourage everybody who is in or around the state of Louisiana, uh, or Louisiana, as they say, uh, and Baton Rouge, uh, April 30th, we are doing our rally there. We have a bill in right now for equal protection in the state of Louisiana, and uh, we're doing a rally April 30th at the state capitol. Meet us there. I believe it's 10 a.m. That's when we're meeting for that. Uh, so we need you We need you there. One of the things that I have been trying to stress as much as possible is that, yes, Apologia Church, uh, as a ministry, we are working across the country to save lives. We're saving so many children every single day through all of the churches that are getting equipped and getting the training and the resources, and they're going out with the gospel. Yes, there have been thousands upon thousands saved. However, we are also working in states to get uh, built of equal protection, that is bills that would abolish, bills that would criminalize, bills that would end in terms of the role of the civil magistrate, uh, this issue uh, of the slaughter of the preborn. But we need everybody who is a part of that state to actually do the work. Don't miss me on this. Very, very important. We can do the work of getting the legislators at times, and we can do the work of promoting so everyone knows it's happening. We can do that work. We can speak into the issue. But if we're in your state, it is up to you to actually get the work done and get it accomplished. You need to get uh, churches and pastors in your area aware of the fact that it's happening. You need to draw all those churches out into the public square. You need to talk to those legislators in your state. That is totally up to you. It is your state. It is up to you to get that victory. And so we need you April 30th to uh, rally everybody you know that's a believer and uh, wants to protect the preborn and establish justice to show up for that rally on April 30th in that state, Louisiana, April 30th. Meet us there. I will be there. I'd love to put my hand into your hand and say hello to you, and thank you for showing up. So please come out if you're in South Carolina, if you're around there in Florida, wherever, come out to that state and join us there. So that's what's going on this month. We're very passionate about it. Please join us there for those things. So much is going on. We are out right now uh, as Apologia Church, I'm going to just give a big shout out to Apologia Church. Uh, what a blessing. Um, we're going to the Mormon Temple, the Easter pageant in Mesa, Arizona. Uh, so, so many of the videos that you see online that have led so many Latter-day Saints to the true and living Christ uh, with the biblical gospel. Uh, you've seen those videos. They've taken place outside the Mormon uh, Temple, the Easter pageant they held annually. Uh, it's been on break for some time because they've been doing construction in that area, and so they're back. The Easter pageant is happening again. It's about two weeks of evangelism. Tens of thousands of people show up for this thing, and it was so awesome. I'm going to just tell you that. It was so awesome. Last night, I show up. It's the first night they're doing it, and I, there must have been 40 people from Apologia Church out on the sidewalk. I remember back in the day when I was 18 years old and I showed up at the Mormon temple in Mesa, Arizona with my backpack, my Bible full of tracks. Um, I showed up and it was Alpha and Omega Ministries, not too many of them, but James was there. Uh, Rich Pierce was there. Uh, I met Jerry there for the first time. He was probably 16 years old. I was 18 years old. And uh, there was no one out there, really. And, and there were so many times we'd go out to the Easter pageant or to the Christmas lights they would have annually, and there'd be nobody on the sidewalk except for maybe me, uh, sometimes just me, uh, sometimes me and Jerry, 
uh, sometimes maybe a handful of guys, maybe half a dozen guys at the most. And there was times where, you know, you're kind of discouraged by that. Like, look how God is moving here. Look how lives are being touched. Look how people's eyes are being opened to the truth. Where's the Christian church? Where are there more people? And it was just such a blessing last night to be there and to have so many people who are members of Apologia Church, who are out there to love the Mormons. They were so gracious, they were so loving, they were so respectful, and they were just filled with Scripture. Um, I mean, filled with Scripture. They were. I just got to sit back most of the time and just watch uh, the members of Apologia Church just minister to these Latter-day Saints, giving them clear, a clear communication of Scripture, giving them clear answers as to how we know Jesus Christ as the eternal God, uh, clear communication that there is only one God, you can't become a God one day, and clear communication as to how a person is justified and uh, declared righteous and reconciled to God and has peace with God. It was really such a blessing. So shout out to Apologia Church. Praise God for you. It was such a gift to be able to sit back as a pastor and say, wow, look at this. And my son, he's actually in the background right now. Hey, What's up, Stellar? Um, he's like, no, he's like, no, no. <laughs> he was out there last night, and he, my son's a beast. Um, he's been out there since he's probably, I mean, probably, I probably brought him out there in a baby carrier before. Um, but he's been out there handing out tracks since he was about four years old. And last night, he was just walking up and down the sidewalk, handing out tracks. Just, just one, one woman, I think, said to him, you're very aggressive. Um, because he was just like, do you want to hear the true gospel? And they were like, no. He's like, you need to, you need to get the true gospel. You need to have the true gospel. <laughs> it was, it was. He's challenging people. Do you believe you can become a god one day? Um, it was, it was just such a blessing to see that take place. So, um, <clears throat> praise the Lord for that. Hey, thank you guys for joining. Hello to everybody on the live feed right now. Uh, I, uh, Pastor Luke is is uh, dealing with a stomach issue today, so pray for him. He's out uh, resting, and uh, Joy allowed me to take the reins today to do the show all by my lonesome, so I'm excited about today. I had some plans of what I wanted to do, and then I remembered, oh yeah, Pastor James sent me a video clip the other day of um, Reverend Brandon Robertson. Uh, he is a well-known advocate uh, for homosexuality and the LGBT, LMNOP, uh, QRS community. Um, he is somebody who professes faith in Christ, and he also um, uh, advocates for the virtuous uh, lifestyle of homosexuality, that it is, in fact, something that is uh, pleasing to God, that um, uh, God is pleased with homosexuality, homosexual behavior, and so that is where he comes from. And it's interesting, too, I'll just let everyone know as you're getting on here, um, I knew Brandon Robertson, not personally, not in terms of a, of a face-to-face relationship sort of a thing, but I knew him in terms of, you know, everyone's your Facebook friend, and he and I, I believe, were Facebook friends at one point. And uh, I remember that I saw him a lot. He'd interact with some of our stuff. As far as I know... Um, I think I even heard him say before that he used to listen to Apologia. Um, I think he went to Moody. Uh, if I'm, if I hope, hopefully I'm not uh, wrong about that. I think it was Moody. But I remember I started to see some very suspicious, some very suspicious posts that he was making where I was like, hmm, there feels like there's something in the background of this. And I believe that it was when uh, Gay Mirage uh, was declared... Uh, to be legal by the uh, supreme being of the United States. Uh, um, I saw Brandon Robertson uh, post in response to it, something to the effect of like, you know, praise God, the kingdom of God is here. 
And that was shocking to me. And I think that was one of the times where I started to sort of interact like, um, what? And uh, so it was sort of, it, that's where I think, you know, the, the scales were falling off. And that's also where, you know, sort of the mask was coming off and the big revealing was happening. That's where you started to see sort of just this honesty with Brandon Robertson of what he actually thinks and believes. Um, at least that's where I saw it first. And so um, I don't know about the community around him and, and sort of the indications that they were seeing. But Brandon Robertson, uh, well-known uh, advocate for the homosexual lifestyle and uh, and he is also well known for just absolutely undeniably perverting the scriptures in order to accommodate his um, his lifestyle and his beliefs. And so that we're going to talk about today a video that he put. I believe it was up on TikTok. I uh, put a video up on TikTok, and I'm going to go ahead and play that video for you now. And we will interact with it. Uh, I think it's important and. Uh, it's going to be more and more important for us as in the days ahead that we can respond to this sort of drivel uh, coming from somebody who is um, uh, just a wolf. He's a wolf, uh, a complete wolf, and uh, that can be demonstrated with Scripture. Uh, there is a possibility of a, of a debate in the future that can help to sort of... Uh, tease some of that out for everybody so they can see it uh, for themselves. I mean, it's obvious enough as it is, a man like this who professes the name of Christ as he believes in the Bible, uses the Bible, but uh, denies uh, so much of what the Bible teaches. But uh, here's the clip. It's uh, 59 seconds long. I'll go ahead and play it for you all so you guys can get a good picture of uh, what we're dealing with here. Here we go. Did you know that Jesus helped his friend come out? In John chapter 11, verse 43, this is what it says. Jesus called out in a loud voice saying, Lazarus, come out. You see, Lazarus was locked up in a cold, dark tomb, wrapped in burial cloths, left for dead. That's exactly what so many Christians and so many churches do to LGBT people. They wrap us up and bind us up and tell us that we need to keep our identity, our true self locked away. But Jesus, upon seeing Lazarus in this state, he says, Lazarus, come out. Step into the light, take off the cloth, be who you are, come alive. I believe that this is what Jesus is speaking to every LGBT person. Come out of the tomb of shame. Take off the chains that have bound you up. Step into the glory of who God made you to be, fearfully and wonderfully made, just as you are. You are beloved of God. Did you know that Jesus... All right, so, um, obviously... Uh, that was, uh, extremely gay and, um, and, uh, it was a very, that's uber gay Bible interpretation and, uh, mishandling of the word of God, a distortion of scripture, uh, to, to, uh, make those sort of claims about the historical narrative surrounding the death of Lazarus. I think he said twice there, Lazarus with a T-H, um, uh, he said at the beginning, Lazarus, and then he said, Lazarus. Uh, so it'd be good to, if you're going to malign historical uh, figures and historical narrative, it might be uh, a good idea to actually get their names right. Um, it's Lazarus, not Lazarus. And um, so we're going to talk about it. Uh, very, very important. And uh, before we talk about it, well, let's let's go ahead and go piece by piece here. I was, I'm going I'm to play another clip of him being asked the question in a uh, discussion as to whether the LGBTQ um, equality issue is a salvific issue. Uh, but let's just let's go piece by piece here through Brandon Robertson's um, mishandling of the Word of God. 
Did you know that Jesus helped his friend come out? In John chapter 11. So let's talk about that. So uh, first of all, uh, you know, there's a, there's a difference between exegesis and eisegesis. Exegesis refers to the drawing out of the text. What is the meaning? What is the author's original intention? Who is the audience? What is the context? You know, you're asking those questions as you're handling the holy revelation of God. Um, and exegesis is saying, I don't know what, I don't want to know what you say and what you think so much as I want to know what John said. What did he mean? What did he write? What actually took place in this moment in history? And let's remember now, John is writing an historical narrative. He's telling you the history of Jesus and what he did and what he said, what, um, what, what the meaning is of time, at times of, 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 his, of, his, uh, of his teachings. And so, you know, we don't know anything about Jesus apart from God's revelation in history. And so what you'll find today is so many of these uh, wolves uh, will use the Word of God sort of as a pretext, you know, like, well, we love this Jesus, this figure Jesus who says he loves people so much and he died for sins and rose again from the dead. Well, you, you know about those things uh, because you have the Word of God. And so what these people will do is they'll go to the Bible, they'll take peace here, peace there, they'll say, well, you know, I really love the story of a, of, a, of a Messiah who loves sinners so much that he gives himself for their salvation— uh, and so they'll, they'll use those concepts conceptually. I like those things. Those are mine. I want to take those things. But anywhere the Bible would disagree with their own presuppositions, their own ethical standards, their sexual ethics, that's where they start to say, well, you know, I don't really believe that. I'm not going to really stand on that, but I sure do love the message of Jesus. It's always surprising to me when you drive by some of these churches that um, historically, you know, you might have a Presbyterian church or an Anglican church or something like that, that historically had, you know, has a pedigree, has a historical position, a doctrinal position, they have a creed, a confession, those sorts of things. And uh, they're so far gone and so apostate now, and so you're covered in rainbow flags, and you know their, their digital sign outside always has something to say about homosexuality and the homosexual lifestyle and all the rest. Um, it always surprises me. It's, it's, it's a good question to ask is, why are you even doing this? Like, you know, why... Why even claim to believe the Bible, right? I mean, in, in, in their case, I, I believe it's, it's, it's not only being a wolf and a false teacher, but it's also so fraudulent. It's like you, you want to operate and you want to have standing and you want to receive donations and you want to have a career and a job, but you don't really believe this revelation. Let's be honest. You don't believe it. Um, you're comfortable mishandling it. You're comfortable dismissing things that are uncomfortable to you and your presuppositions and your assumptions, your commitments. And so I always find it so uh, incredible to find someone like Brandon Robertson who wants to use the stories from the historical narrative of Jesus, um, and he wants to use them to propagate his own perverse sexual ethic. Um, he wants to read, he wants to eisegete his own assumptions, his own ethical standards, um, his modern-day terminology into the Bible. So, like, for example, I'll, I'll let you hear it once again, and let's dissect it. Let's think about, point by point, answering a man like this who mishandles the Word of God so dramatically. Listen closely again. Did you know that Jesus helped his friend come out? In John did you know that Jesus helped his friend come out? I'm wondering, where, 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 where? Where'd that come from? Is that a biblical term? 
You know, is that is that something you find in the Bible in terms of um, people having a particular sexual ethic and and belief system and commitment, and they come out of the closet? No, coming out of the closet is a modern is is a modern it's modern terminology. It's something that the homosexual community uses. Um, they use that terminology to describe their own rev- revealing to those around them that this is the sexual ethic that they've adopted, that they believe in. They, they believe it's a part of the core of their being, and they're finally going to reveal it to the world. So they come out of the closet, come out of the closet. Now, I'm a, I was raised throughout the 80s. I was born in 78, raised throughout the 80s. And so I, I know when that was becoming a very, very important and popular thing in culture, talking about coming out of the closet. But let's be honest that's not biblical in nature, but Brandon Robertson wants to shove that into the story of uh, Lazarus being raised by the Lord Jesus from the dead, actual physical death. So he wants to take um, this modern uh, terminology coming out of the closet, and he wants to read that into the story of Lazarus, and he wants to find a way to squeeze his perverse sexual ethic into the Bible. And so he uses capital from modern language and he goes to running to the Bible, finding a way where how can I squeeze my modern innovation, my modern understanding into this particular text? Not go to the text of Lazarus and the raising of Lazarus and say, what does it say? This is John writing about Jesus and it's historical narrative, clearly. He's telling you point by point who was there, what they said. He's telling you who didn't believe. He's giving you the honest details of some people believed after, after the resurrection of Lazarus, and some people didn't. He's telling you the, the, the nuts and bolts of the whole thing. And this is John's story of Jesus about the death of Lazarus. What does that, what's that mean? Now, of course, if you want to say, is there, is there a deep spiritual truth that Jesus is teaching in this place about himself, about his identity, about what he accomplishes in the world? The answer is, well, of course you can do that, but you kind of need divine revelation to help you out a bit. And what I mean by that is it's not just saying exegesis. What does the text say? Draw out of the text its meaning. What is the context? Who is the audience? Uh, All that stuff. But you want to also look at not just the standard of this is the reference point for certainty, what does God say, but you want to use tota scriptura, what does all of the Bible say in interpreting particular passages of scripture. And yeah, you can do that in terms of the conceptual nature of the situation. You've got Jesus, the Son of God, he is uh, the light of the world, in him is life, all of that. He has the power to speak into death and raise the dead, all of that, yeah. Now, what's that mean? Well, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, he says, you were dead in your sins and trespasses by nature, children of wrath. And he says, but God made you alive together with him. By grace, you've been saved. And so, yeah, there, there is conceptually, biblically, a way to look at the raising of Lazarus 
and say, okay, yeah, you have a dead man there, and Jesus has the ability to speak into a tomb of death, rotting, stinking death. Remember, the text says everybody was worried because he stinketh, because we're talking about physical death. He really died, and Jesus really raised him. There is something deeper there, though, in terms of what it indicates to us about the identity of Jesus and the power of Jesus, and, you know, of course, what this says about really all of God's people who are spiritually dead and Jesus speaks into us life and raises us from the dead. Yeah, but how do you get to those conclusions? You don't do it by taking modern innovations and understandings and going to the Bible and shoving them into the text and trying to find ways to get people to adopt your perverse sexual ethic. No, you go to the text itself and you say, what does the Bible say? This is the word of the living God. Let's let scripture interpret scripture. Let's go to the Bible and say, what does it say about this? But I want you to notice at the outset, when you see someone like Brandon Robertson completely abusing the Bible in an effort to get people to um, to accept his um, uh, understanding of, of uh, this uh, sexual ethic, um, just note that he first starts going to the text, revealing his cards. I'm not going to read the Bible and let it speak. I'm going to take my modern understanding of coming out of the closet, and I'm going to go running to Bible passages to figure out a way to squeeze my sexual ethic and understanding into the word of the living God. That's that's not exegesis. That's not being faithful with the text. Let's be honest. Brandon Robertson's not concerned with being faithful with the text of God's word. He's not concerned with actually saying, what does the Bible actually say? Um, We want to obey what God says. God's word is the truth. I'm going to obey what he says. No, Brandon Robertson's not concerned with that. Brandon Robertson um, is concerned with finding a way to... um, to uh, have everybody else accept what he has accepted in terms of um, his sexual ethic. And so he's finding a way to squeeze it into the Bible. So did you know that Lazarus came out? I think we can all see that for what it is. Next point. Chapter 11, verse 43, this is what it says. Jesus called out in a loud voice saying, Lazarus, come out. You see, Lazarus was locked up in a cold, dark tomb, wrapped in burial cloths, left for dead. That's exactly what so many Christians and so many churches do to LGBT people. And there it is again. Let me find this modern issue, this modern understand, understanding, this modern language. Let me find a way to squeeze that into the story of Lazarus. Well, he admits readily that there is a dead man in this tomb and he's wrapped in burial cloths because the story is about Lazarus being raised from the dead. Now, here's what's important is that for people who are in Brandon Robertson's camp, the Bible isn't so much about the glory of Jesus Christ, the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, the justice of God. It's not a story primarily about God and God's glory. No, For people like Brandon Robertson, the story of scripture is me. It's all about me. It's all about that person. It's not so much about the glory of God in that moment and Jesus Christ displaying who he was and raising Lazarus from the dead. I mean, let's just look at the text for a moment so you can see uh, a bit of of what I'm getting at here. So in the text, John chapter 11, 
In verse 38, it says this, Then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? That's what the text is about. It's a dead man. He's been so dead for so long that they're worried that he stinks. And Jesus says, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So for Jesus, the Messiah, the one Brandon Robertson says that he actually believes in, this story for him, this moment for him in history was about the glory of God. It's not about Lazarus. It's about the glory of God. It's about revealing and vindicating who Jesus Christ is. It's not about Lazarus. It's about Jesus and his glory. So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, here it is, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around me that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. So in the text, you can clearly see that Jesus' intention for everyone's understanding of this moment is that everybody would know that the Father sent Jesus. And this was for the glory of God. Raising Lazarus from the dead was about the glory of God and the vindication of Jesus as Messiah. The story isn't centered around Lazarus. It's centered around Jesus. And what is what ought to be shocking to us, readily shocking to us, regularly shocking to us, is to see people like Brandon Robertson try to find ways to squeeze his sexual ethic into texts of the Bible that have nothing to do with what he's talking about. And we always see this perverse attempt to diminish the glory of God, to diminish the centrality of Jesus Christ and his message and his glory, we always see this attempt to diminish that and always emphasize that person over there and what they're doing and what they're going through. It's about the glory of God. That's what the story's about. And Brandon, Brandon Robertson wants to obfuscate and he wants to eisegete and he wants to bring into the text these foreign concepts and all these things that have literally nothing to do with the text itself. It's an abuse of scripture. They wrap us up and bind us up and tell us that we need to keep our identity, our true self locked away. But Jesus... Question, what in the text gives us reason to believe that this is about identity? What in the text gives us that, that it's about identity, our identity. Nothing, nothing in the text. Brandon Robertson is taking modern concepts about coming out of the closet. He's taking uh, his own uh, particular issue and problem with the Christian church's rejection on the basis, basis of scripture, 
his particular um, choices in sexual ethic. He has a problem with that. So he says, well, here's the scenario. There's so many people who, who want to live this out. They want to live out this sexual ethic. And there's so many other Christians, standing on the word of God, by the way, who are saying, no, God condemns that. You need to turn from that. Now, such were some of you. God redeems people from all of these sins, addiction, sexual immorality, adultery, heterosexual sins, all those things. God delivers us from those things. He saves us from our sins. And such were some of you. And Brandon Robertson says, no, no, you're binding up these people. You're, you're casting them out. You're, you're leaving them as though left for dead. Why? Because their identity is wrapped up in their sexuality. Isn't that amazing? That in order to dive headfirst into Brandon Robertson's worldview and his, uh, his view of scripture is that your sexuality what you do with your genitals is the substance of who you are. It's everything. Your physical intimacy, that's your whole identity. It's everything. That's what they want us to believe. That this is everything. This is your identity. Your sexuality is your ultimate identity. And it's, it's honestly not only depraved, but it's honestly depressing. It's depressing that according to Brandon Robertson, there is really no escape from this because there's no such were some of you necessary. And your whole identity is wrapped up in your sexual choices here. And so what, what we're doing is we're taking people and we're saying to them, no, you, you shouldn't live this out. This is something that God calls us in. And we're putting them away and we're binding them up and we're not allowing them to live out their true self, their true self being what they do with their genitals and who they do it with. That's everything. That's their, that's their true identity. Because for Brandon Robertson, the word of God isn't the reference point in terms of gender. The word of God isn't the reference point in terms of human sexuality. Brandon Robertson couldn't have a, a lick of a meaningful debate with a person who uh, was advocating for a sexual practice that even Brandon Robertson found deplorable or depraved. Because all of his arguments in terms of his rejection of scripture and what he accepts would work for their lifestyle too. They could just change the word. And they could say, I can have a healthy, loving relationship with Jesus Christ as pedophile. I can have a sexual and healthy, loving relationship with Jesus Christ as someone who enjoys sex with animals. And they could use the same arguments as Brandon Robertson, ultimately, because Brandon Robertson doesn't see the word of God as ultimate and definitional. It's not for Brandon Robertson. And so what he has to do is he has to take all of his concepts and all of his beliefs. He has to find a way to force that into the word of God by taking a passage like the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And he has to uh, distort the entire text in order to gain followers and um, to get views and to get people to accept his position. No, we need to call this what it is. It's a mishandling of scripture. It is unstable. It shows that Brandon Robertson is untaught, and um, he's ultimately somebody who is a dangerous man.
handling the Word of God in a way that he will ultimately answer for. And Brandon, if you see this, I pray that God opens your eyes to the truth and your heart has changed because you have a lot to answer for, sir. Next point. On seeing Lazarus in this state, he says, Lazarus, come out. Step into the light. Take off the cloth. Be who you are. Come alive. Be who you are? Really? Where's that in the text? I've been reading John 11. I actually preached on John 11 a few times in the last couple of years. I don't remember reading any of that in the text. Lazarus, Brandon says, be who you are. Is that Brandon Robertson's gospel message for the broken, for the hurting? Is that that really his message? That Jesus comes into people's lives and he says, just be who you are. Just be yourself. Just be you, baby. No, actually, Jesus calls people to come to him in his ministry and he calls them to repent to repent of their sins, to come to him for life, for forgiveness, for peace. And the message of the apostles always came into the world with repent, metanoia. By the way, if you go to Brandon Robertson's uh, YouTube page, that's at the very top of his channel, the word metanoia means repent, about face, go the other direction, completely change. Does that sound like God wants you to maintain that old identity, right? If you were the uh, person who was heterosexual, just engaged in a life of uh, promiscuity um, as a heterosexual. You want him to keep his identity? Is that right? Just be yourself, right? The, say, the, say the heterosexual guy, because I've met these guys, by the way, heterosexual guys that claim faith in Jesus, but they also just sleep around, sleep around, sleep around, sleep around. Brandon, do you want to tell those guys who are heterosexual and engaging in that kind of lifestyle, just be yourself, because I can tell you right now, truth before God, I've met so many men who have told me they believe in Jesus, they live uh, sexually perverse lifestyles, heterosexual, sexual perver- sexually perverse lifestyles, um, and they just sleep around, they're promiscuous, and they believe that God totally accepts that. That's just who they are. They can't get over it. That's just who they are. Is that Brandon Robertson's message for the heterosexual fornicator? That just be your true self. Like the guy says, no, I want to have Jesus and I also want to be able to have sex with as many women as I want. I think God's totally satisfied with that. I think he's perfectly fine. That's just who I am. That's just my makeup. Is that Brandon Robertson's response to him? Just be your true self, right? Jesus just wants you to be your true self. No, the message of the New Testament is something so much more powerful, so much more glorious than Brandon Robertson's false gospel could ever touch. It's the message of union with Jesus Christ of union with Jesus Christ, that I through faith as a sinner and not, am not condemned, God does not hold my sins against me anymore, and he actually counts me righteous apart from works. That's all in Romans chapter four. And that I, according to the apostle Paul, have a righteousness that is not my own. It's a righteousness that comes from God through faith. It's a foreign righteousness. It's not mine because I'm not righteous. I'm not good. I don't have any righteousness to boast about before God. So I get the righteousness of another, the Messiah, the son of the living God, the eternal God in human flesh who lived righteously and blamelessly, perfectly and obediently, died for sinners and rose again from the dead. And he's ascended and seated as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I get his righteousness. And I'm actually, according to scripture, united to him 
covered in his righteousness. And it says in scripture that for believers, our true identity is wrapped up in our union with Jesus Christ. Our identity is not the addict. It's not the heterosexual adulterer. Our identity is not the murderer or the thief or the liar or the coveter or the homosexual. Our identity is actually in Christ. And it's such a beautiful thought to consider. And it's something that Brandon Robertson's false gospel can't even touch. It's something beautiful to consider that for the believer, we are united to Jesus Christ. And the Bible is so specific about this. We are united to his death and his resurrection. So there's an old self united to Jesus's death so that that old self dies and rises again from the dead. Brandon Robertson wants people to believe, no, Jesus wants you to come out of the tomb of death and he wants you to keep that identity. That's your identity in there, right? Your true self is that dead person in there. Why don't you keep that around for a little bit? No, the glory of the gospel is so much better than Brandon Robertson's false gospel could ever touch, is there's death and new life. There's a resurrection that takes place where an old self is crucified with Jesus, and that death is no more. We don't carry around that death with us for the rest of our lives. Brandon Robertson wants people to stay dead. Keep carrying around that death, that body of death. Keep carrying it around. Now, it's interesting that Jesus takes somebody who is dead physically and he gives them life so that they're no longer dead. Brandon Robertson isn't handling the word of God as somebody who respects the word of God, who honors the word of God. Brandon Robertson wants to take his own um, commitments and his own belief about homosexuality. And he wants to take that and he wants to import all that into the Bible so that you'll believe it. But it's not a message of life. It's not the glorious message that I read at the beginning of the program today from the Apostle Paul, the inspired apostle, who says that people who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he says, such were some of you. You were that. You were, past tense. That's who you were. All that stuff is gone now. That old man is dead. That old woman is dead. They're gone. You're alive now. That was you. Not anymore. You've been washed. You've been justified. You've been sanctified. You see, that's the glorious message of the scriptures, is that we don't have to carry around that death with us forever. I don't have to carry around the identity I had before. No, I have union with Christ and new life and forgiveness. I've been washed. I was that. I'm not that anymore. And all glory to God. Brandon Robertson's message is a message of weakness, no power, and death. Here's more. I believe that this is what Jesus is speaking to every LGBT person. Come out of the tomb of shame. Take off the chains that have bound you up. Step into the glory of who God made you to be, fearfully and wonderfully made, just as you are. You are beloved of God. I wonder, Brandon, I wonder if the person who believes at the core of their being um, that their desire for little children to be intimate physically with little children 
is a desire that is something they can't escape from. They are born that way, and they believe that um, man-boy love is something that God is pleased with. And they believe that they're, they're, just, they're, they're so shackled and so shamed by the Christian church using the Bible for those standards. They believe they've just been locked up. That's just their identity. It's the core of who they are. Brandon, should they come out with their true self? Should they come out and uh, come out into the light with Jesus and just be able to live out loud this sexual ethic that they believe is honoring and glorifying to God? Brandon, would you encourage them to just live out loud, come into the light, and just be who God made them to be? Because you know, there are people, you know this, who believe that that's just who they are. They're attracted to young children. That's what they love. That's what makes them happy. That's what makes them feel whole. That's just their identity. They're born that way. Brandon, you want them to come out? You want them to come out to the light? You want them to just be who God made them to be? I hope you don't. But I imagine you'd have a bit of a hard time arguing with them. Because, Brandon, let's be honest, you can't use the Bible to argue with that sexual ethic. You can't use the Bible because you already ignore the Bible when it comes to God's standards for sexual ethics. You already ignore it. And so because you ignore it, because you have to weave around those texts, because you have to manipulate the Bible, you don't really have a coherent, meaningful response to the person who believes that pederasty is a virtue. You don't. And so Brandon Robertson's short little video there is devastating to his own position, of course, but it's also an indication of exactly um, the kind of manipulation of the Bible that has to take place in order to propagate these beliefs. Now, the Bible's clear. The Bible is clear. It's incontrovertible. God created the world in a specific way. And he, he created it and he called it good. And when he created, he created male and female, maleness and femaleness in terms of our being, right? That's our nature, maleness, femaleness. And he creates, and he creates in such a way that they fit together so uniquely and so perfectly in terms of even their differences biologically, all that. It's glorious, it's beautiful, it's powerful. And Brandon, you're robbing women and men of the glory of God in their unique um, nature as men and women uh, with your lifestyle and your worldview. But God creates, and he creates male and female, and he creates this union, this beautiful, intimate union that can only really satisfy both partners in this way. Now, I'm going to say something that's very, very important, and um, it it might be shocking to some people. Don't let it be shocking because it ought not be shocking. It's true. In terms of sexual fulfillment, in terms of sexual fulfillment, if you don't do it according to God's own order, in terms of male and female, then one partner is ultimately always unsatisfied biologically. In other words, uh, and this goes even to the Hebrew language itse itself, the male is the one who pierces or perforates, and this is from language itself, he is the one who penetrates. He's biologically created to penetrate, 
right? So he finds his satisfaction in in intimacy, physical intimacy, the way that God ordered it to be very, very good. He finds it in penetrating and his parts display that vividly. The woman is clearly created to be penetrated. And biologically, she's wired to desire that. There's nothing that should be ultimately shocking about this discussion. That's biology. That's our nature, male and female. And they come together in this beautiful, sexual, intimate union. And the male biologically has been created by God to desire to penetrate and the woman to be penetrated. And here's the point. Romans chapter 1 says that everybody knows God. They know God so clearly that they are unapologetous. They are without a reason defense for the rejection of God because they know him so clearly through what has been made. He has made himself known to them. And what they do is they suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And Paul goes on to list some of the display of what that suppression ultimately leads to. It says God gives them over. And he gives them over to what? He gives them over to satisfy their own lusts and to flip creation and cre- the created order on its head. How does he do so? How, how, does he, how does he say it takes place? Men with men, women with women. They undo the very order of creation. What God shouts to creation in terms of his goodness and his harmony and his perfection and this, this glorious thing he creates between male and female, biologically, he creates that, and then sinful people say, nah, nah. Don't want that. I don't want it the way that you called us to have it. And so because we do that, we rebel and we sin against God, whether that's in heterosexual sin or homosexual sin. But in Romans 1 for Paul, homosexual sin is clearly a dramatic display of rebellion and sin because it's a complete flipping of the created order in terms of biological sex and the meaning that takes place there. But in terms of what this does to distort human relationships is that in a homosexual relationship, that sexual ethic, um, somebody is always left lacking because you have biological males with biological males. And somebody's always left lacking in terms of the female relationship, because you have biological females with biological females. And Paul in Romans chapter one says this, when people do this, when they experience this, they promote this, they engage in this, they are suppressing the truth of God, God's giving them over to this, and they were rebelling against the created order itself. And of course, Paul then goes on to list even more sins that are a result of rebelling against God, haters of God, disobedient to parents, murderers, all the rest. But notice that his anchor there in terms of what this leads to is a distortion of our own sexual natures. The Bible's clear. Of course, we all know Leviticus 18.22 Do not have sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman. That is detestable. Scripture calls it an abomination. Toivah. It's um, Leviticus 18, 22 through 24. Do not have sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman. That is detestable. Do not have sexual relationships with an animal and defile yourself with it. Talks about it being a perversion. And it actually says in verse 24, do not defile yourselves in any of these ways because that this is how the nations that I am going to drive out before you became defiled. So God actually says, here these, these sexual sins, 
these sexual sins, these are the, the very reasons I'm driving out the nations who are surrounding you because they practice these things. So you, people of God, don't do them. And it's not don't do them because I'm trying to rob you of joy. I'm trying to rob you of satisfaction. It's don't do them because I want you to have joy, because I want you to have true satisfaction, true intimacy. There's more in Scripture. But of course, that passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9-11 through 11, is a powerful text, and it's an encouraging text for sinners, no matter what kind of sinner you are. When it says, do not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God, don't be deceived, sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men. That's what the text means. Nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. People who are practicing these things, if you're, if you're promoting, practicing, living in this, you accept it like Brandon Robertson does, and you say, this is who I am, this is my identity, I'm going to practice this. I'm going to live this out loud. I'm going to step into the light and I'm going to be the thief. I'm going to be the covetous. I'm going to be the sexually immoral. I'm going to be the drunkard because that's my identity. Paul says, you practice those things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Brandon Robertson says, oh yes, you will because that's your identity. That's who you are. It's not the message of the gospel and there's no hope in Brandon Robertson's message because there's not, there's not a such were some of you for him. We can go on and on about this, but I wanted to end on this point. This is Brandon Robertson being asked a question regarding whether the LGBTQ equality issue is a salvation issue. Here's what he says. Respond, please. Is this a salvation issue? Is this a gospel issue? Me? Uh, no, I absolutely don't think it is because there are so many areas in church, in church theology where we disagree on what the Bible says. One area, for instance, is there are a majority of people, a lot of people here at the conference who would identify as charismatic, but somebody like Dr. John MacArthur says the charismatic movement is the biggest heresy of modern day, uh, in the modern day church. Well, who's here going to say that Dr. Michael Brown's not a Christian because he's a charismatic? No one. And yet, if we went with Dr. Uh, John MacArthur's argument, then if somebody's speaking in tongues or anything like that, they're not doing that move by the Holy Spirit, so they're living in sin. Well, we would not say that Dr. Michael Brown's not a Christian or that Dr. John MacArthur is not a Christian. And so similarly on this issue, there is a divergence of views that are rising up in the church. And I wanna advocate that the blood of Christ covers us all. And so if I turn out to be wrong on my view about sexuality, I have faith that on the judgment day, I'm going to be relying on the cross of Christ and that God is going to cover me if I was wrong. And likewise, if the non-affirming side is wrong, God will cover us on the judgment day for that. But, but Michael, before you... So that's uh, a bit of a sleight of hand that I, th I hope that most of us can recognize is to take an issue that is a disagreement on the adiaphora in terms of spiritual gifts and to try to make that similar in terms of a discussion of sin and lifestyle choices in terms of pursuing sin. It, it is a bit of sleight of hand, and it's important because where do, you, where do you see this happening in Scripture? Well, you see the Apostle Paul clearly dealing with issues that are personal preferences and issues of conscience um, related to, say, whether you can eat meat sacrificed to idols. And he's like, look, don't destroy your brother for whom Christ died. To the one who wants to eat it, do it to the glory of God. To the one who doesn't, do it to the glory of God. But you see clear examples in the New Testament where 
basically the believers are constantly being told outdo each other with honor, love one another with brotherly affection, and forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. And you're being told unity is the core issue. Unity is the core issue. Be united in Christ. Be at peace with one another. And you're you're being told in Scripture to allow these things that are peripheral issues, let those go, go by the wayside. But where do you see the apostles not having the kind of liberal view that um, that Brandon has in this case? You do not see them ever, ever having that kind of mindset of liberty, liberty, liberty over the nature of God, over the gospel itself, and over sin that God has defined. Proof? The Apostle Paul. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. No, Brandon Robertson, if you continue to propagate and to practice this lifestyle, to encourage others to do the same, to let that be the core of their identity, and to do this, to live it out loud before God and to come into the light. If you do that, you are, you are leading people into hell and you yourself are on your way. Because scripture says, and this is the inspired apostle, a much more reliable source than Brandon Robertson in our century. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. And he lists all these sins. If this is who you are, if it is the core of your identity, if it is what you practice, that's who you are, you accept it, you practice it, that is your life, Paul says, do not be deceived. That's a message for Brandon Robertson. Brandon, you're deceiving yourself. Don't be deceived. You practice these things, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. You will not inherit the kingdom of God. Because you see, what takes place, according to Paul, with the believer is the such were some of you, but you were washed, sanctified, and justified. You see, those sins are something that Christians turn from. They're forgiven. They turn from them. Christians, according to the Apostle Paul, make war with their sins. They fight to put them to death. Why? Because according to Colossians chapter 3, they have been raised up with Christ and they're seated with him in the heavenly places. Therefore, put to death what is earthly within you. And he says sexual immorality, which is idolatry. Paul says to believers, put it to death. Put it to death. How can you do it? You've been washed, sanctified, justified. You're raised up with Christ, seated with him in the heavenly places. Therefore, put to death what is earthly within you. And he names sins like sexual morality, which he calls idolatry. And so you can see it. For the idolater, that thing that they worship other than God, it gets the weight. It gets the glory of their life. It has preeminence. It's weight it's glory. It is everything to them. They give to it. They sacrifice to it. They constantly obsess over it. They constantly pursue it. It's idolatry. And Paul says sexual morality is idolatry. It's the worship of a foreign god. It is glory and sacrifice to this thing. It's everything. And you can see the idolatry of Brandon Robertson concerning 
his sexual ethic in everything he does. This is everything. It's everything. It takes the weight of his life. He sacrifices for it. He finds ways, because he obsesses over it, to squeeze it into the narrative of Jesus. Is any of this in the text? No. But because I love this so much, and because I obsess over it, and because it has the weight of my life, and because I sacrifice everything to it, I will find a way to distort the message of the Bible itself to satisfy my needs. Why? Because this is God. For the believer who knows Jesus, who's been reconciled to God, we're being changed every day and renewed. And one of the most amazing and encouraging things for the believer is the fact that God confronts our sin. And we see it for what it is. I have a friend who, who uh, I was just talking to the other day, and he talked about the hope of sin. The hope of sin. I'll end with this. The hope of sin. And what he meant by that was, for the Christian, because we know Jesus and we've been forgiven of our sins and it is finished at the cross, we have redemption, we have peace with God, we will not be condemned according to Scripture. We've gone from death to life. For us, we have hope when we see sin in ourselves and we realize what it actually is. We don't have to lie about it, deny it. We don't have to cover it up. We don't have to make excuses for it. We can say, I have hope. This is my fault. It's, what, it's, it's, it's me. I can repent. God's causing me to hate this. I don't have to live this way. I have the power of the Spirit of God living within me, the hope of sin, being able to acknowledge that's just sin, right? For the, for the married couple who's struggling in their marriage and they can't find ways to, to come together and make things work, they're constantly at odds with each other. It's hopeful for those Christians who know Jesus to say, hey, it's me. As a husband, I'm not loving my wife the way Christ calls me to. I'm being heavy-handed. Maybe I'm being rude. I'm not being gracious. I'm not treating her as the weaker vessel, as Scripture tells me to. And for the woman, I'm not respecting my husband. You know, I'm, I'm constantly fighting against him. I won't ever yield to his attempt to, to lead me spiritually. I'm always at war with him. I'm always trying to get, you know, uh, uh, over him. And, and, and I'm not being gentle towards him. I'm not even trying to build a home. Um, you know, it, it, it's my sin. And there's hope in that to see, especially, like I said, in marriage counseling, you know, what do you need to repent of? Oh, yeah, that's me. That's my sin. What do you need to repent of? Yeah, that's true. I am doing this. And you see, there's hope there because you can repent. God doesn't, he's causing you to hate that sin and you get free from it and you come together and you heal. There's hope in that for the Christian to realize this is just sin. How do I know it's sin? Because God defines it as sin and I could be free. That's how powerful a Savior Jesus is, is Jesus saves me, not just from my sin, but he saves me from me. Jesus saves me from me. He loves me that much that he's not going to leave me how he found me. Brandon Robertson and people of his ilk, they have a story where Jesus just leaves you just like he found you. He leaves you just like he found you. Why? Because this is the core of your identity your sexual sin, and you must be able to live it out. No, the message of the gospel is much more beautiful than that, and I am grateful to God for that. Encourage everybody. Go to apologiastudios.com, get more, sign up for all access, partner with us in all that we're doing. 
I'm grateful personally to all of you who have been with me since the very, very beginning of Apologia Studios. Um, you have been such a blessing to me and made everything we do possible, whether it's the on-the-street evangelism, whether it's the teaching. Thousands upon thousands of people have come out of the cults to Christ. They know God now. So many atheists have come to Christ as a result of the content that's come from Apologia Studios. You did that with me, so thank you so much. Go to endabortionnow.com to get trained and to get resources. Join us in this fight. Please join us. And shout out to AR500, uh, our boys over at AR500. Go to AR500 to get um, a bunch of stuff. They support Abologia Studios and the work that we're doing. Go to AR500 to get stuff from them. Uh, I am, again, grateful to all of you. Please pray. Please, please, please pray uh, for our work in Louisiana, Baton Rouge, April 30th. We need you there. Please join us. I need you to stand with me. We're not going to win. We're not going to win just because the bill goes in. We're going to win because the church of the living God rises up, speaks the truth in this situation. We need you on the ground. Come. Come to Louisiana. April 30th, I believe it's 10 a.m., State Capitol, Baton Rouge, I need you there. Stand by me. Let's uh, establish justice for the preborn. Catch you next week right here on Apologia Radio. Apologia Radio.